Welcome to the Go Big Redcast, the Husker Fan Sports Show with Dave, Honky, Mac, and Boomer. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast. I'm your host, David Gaspers, and I'm with Honky. Happy Father's Day, all, and a special congrats goes out to Redcaster Dave. The Redcast has grown by one since the last time we met. Have to add your social media followers somehow, Honky, and I chose to have uh, a second child. My wife, uh, Katie, delivered a beautiful girl uh, last Friday, so thank you so much. I'm also with Boomer. Well, I just want to give a quick reminder to all of our uh, Jaysker listeners out there. I know your favorite team has gone uh, just a couple of days this week without winning a championship, but don't worry, the uh, Calgary Stampeders kick off the uh, CFL season for themselves tomorrow, so you'll be right back in the swing of championship games for your favorite teams. (laughs) No idea where that was going, but the CFL has kicked off, so there's pro football being played, and that league has not uh, collapsed opposed to other pro leagues outside the NFL. I think that's in reference to... uh... What, Toronto and, and the Blues? Is that is that where you're going with that, Boomer? That could be, yeah. Yeah, some unusual championships have, have occurred outside of the Husker world. We have uh, the St. Louis Blues win the, the Stanley Cup and the Toronto Raptors uh, take the uh, NBA championship. So, uh, yeah, yeah, the Canadians there. Still absolutely. amusing keeping the Stanley Cup out of Canada. They can have the NBA titles all they want. So. Yeah, they have not had the Cup in a while, hey? Uh, all right, well, we're not here to talk about Canadian sports, I'll tell you that. Although there has been a few Canadian baseball players play for Nebraska, so I suppose that could have some sort of relationship. But we are talking about Will Bolt here this fine Friday night, our new Nebraska head baseball coach. Uh, Honky, we, we talked about this last week when we had our show reacting to the resignation of Darren Nurstad and uh, Will Bolt was definitely a name that was on our radar, his name on everyone's radar, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of names that are thrown out in between. Uh, what, what were your initial reactions today? Well, I'm ecstatic by it. I know there are some uh, people out there on social media that are making quite the point about how Moose said that he wanted a head coach with division one power five head coaching experience. And obviously that's not something bolt is, but short of that, everything else to me, he checks off and I'm ecstatic about the hire. I think he is Van Horn jr. Um, in that sense. And I, I'm really glad to have him back here. Welcome back coach bolt. Uh, we asked a social media question yesterday, uh, not knowing that bolt would be hired today, but we asked him yesterday and we gave a couple of uh, options. Who do you think is going to be, the guy, and it was Bolt, and then the head coach at Dallas Baptist, and then Justin Seeley, and run away with that was Bolt. I think 60-some percent out of like 500 votes. So thank you, Redcasters, for voting in that. And so I think it's not a shocker. Um, the timing is interesting. It's right before CWS. And if we couldn't get Childress, who I think was number one, we got the guy was number two that we were looking at. Fair. Boomer, uh, your thoughts? I'm a little more just, I'll just say I'm cautiously optimistic, I guess, about the hire. I mean, it, it's nice to have somebody who's, you know, been at Nebraska and has some idea of the, the challenges that we have, the the unique kind of situation we're in, you know, being in Nebraska and now being in the Big Ten. Uh, so that's, that's a plus, I think. I do kind of lean more towards I would have preferred Bill Moose's original idea of having somebody with prior head coaching experience. I wasn't quite as key on it having to be, you know, a Power Five 
you know, head coach, but I would have liked to seen someone with some Division One coaching experience, whether it was at, or head coaching experience, whether it's at a smaller school or, or what have you. I just I don't like seeing Nebraska as being that place for coaches to learn how to be a head coach because we have enough challenges as it is with recruiting and Big Ten restrictions and everything else that we have going on to have to learn those ins and, ins and outs of you know head coaching and all of those things makes it a big challenge. Managing a program is different. It's true. Yeah, and Bolt has some advantages over, say, when we brought Erstad on, because Erstad had never really been in the college game coaching at all. At least Bolt has, you know, the assistant coaching experience, so recruiting isn't going to be quite as foreign to him. So there, there's some room for a little optimism there. Yeah, I mean, I think it's that's a real stretch to try to talk about the experience that Erstad had coming into this, which was basically one year as a volunteer assistant under Anderson versus Bolt, who's been at Nebraska as an assistant under Erstad, and he also has been a head coach, albeit not at Division One. but he's been an assistant coach in Texas in JUCO ranks. The guy is 140 and 82 as a uh, head coach there at Texarkana College. Uh, he led the Bulldogs to back-to-back Region 14 championships in 2009 and 10 during four straight regional tournament appearances, and he had four 30-plus win seasons. He also had 20-plus players go and sign with D1 schools. So, It's not like he's done nothing as a head coach in terms of not running a program. I mean, he's run a program. It's not Division I. I'm not trying to claim it as that. But this guy brings ample experience. He just hasn't been that head coach at the D1 level. So to use Frost as an example, if Frost had never gone to UCF, if he had stayed two more years at Oregon and come straight here, we would have that discussion saying, oh, we wish he would have, you know, been a head coach at a D1 school. You can make the argument, I wish that Bolt would have gone to North Texas two years ago and been the North Texas coach the last two years. Just didn't happen. But I think we got a guy that has a huge upside. I'm ecstatic. I think it's a great hire. That's very true, Honky. I, I, I agree with that statement. I mean, that will play out. We'll find out if uh, the Will Bolt hire is as good as, as Frost or the Fred Hoiberg hire. Uh, it might just take a little bit longer to, to play out. In both of those instances, there was proof that that coach could get it done with Scott Frost. It was at a non-Power 5 school, but a, a pretty big-time mm-hmm. non-Power 5 program in UCF and did as best as he possibly could there, taking them to an undefeated season and beating an SEC team in a bowl, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Fred Horberg, great success at Iowa State for five years, and then off to the NBA and then back, right? Yeah. So in both instances, there's proof that those coaches – have succeeded at a high level in pretty stiff competition. What's interesting with Hoiberg, though, is when he went to Iowa State, he didn't have any of that experience. But what he was was somebody coming back to Ames that certainly understood the challenges that Ames brings and what it takes to be a winner in Ames and to recruit to Ames, all those things. And that's one of the things I like about Bolt, who has been a player here, who has coached here under Erstad very recently in the Big Ten actually, of all things. So he understands some of the inherent challenges that come with being a Big Ten program. You know, he's coached in that. But also, you know, when you think about wanting to go back to the glory years, we've talked about in football all the time, and we hired Frost, a guy that was here during those great 90 seasons. Well, what is the glory years of baseball for Nebraska? It is 1998 to 2002. It is the Van Horn era, and that is smack dab right in the middle of where Bolt played. Bolt is Van Horn Jr. People have called him that. He's he kind of looks like liked him. He yeah yeah. I, I, Chattel is obsessed with this, and it's just play, like played at Buck Belzer. You know, I mean, the the guy he understands the challenges that Nebraska brings. But this is a different Nebraska too than 1999 yeah. and 2000 Nebraska. Being in the Big 12 is different than the Big 10. Um, we're paying 300 thousand a year for him. 
we didn't have to, to break the bank to, to get a very good coach. But there are other challenges that come with the Big Ten, and one of them is the lack of over-signing, Dave. And you've kind of mentioned that, but, I mean, that probably, more than just how much we're going to pay a head coach, that's something that is a challenge to bring a coach into this conference, right? I mean, we, we have some inherent challenges there, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I think it was uh, Mike Schaefer on Twitter posed the question or a statement of, like, you know, well, I guess – Big Ten money won't buy you everything, right? And it does sound like it, whether Moose will thoroughly admit to this or, or not, and it doesn't sound like he probably will admit to it, sounds like he clearly did go after Rob Childress, who makes about 800000 at Texas A&M. And there was other rumors of going after Pat Casey, who recently retired from Oregon State and has three national championships to his name and was making probably about a million a year there in Corvallis before he retired. You know, we, there's other names. Boomer, you probably remember some of these, but like uh, Chris Pollard, the Duke coach, was something that we had talked about. Like, that could be a great hire. I mean, he has got that program going in the right direction, had not even sniffed the postseason in five decades or something like that, and had taken to two straight super regionals. And it's like, well, if you can't get Childress or Casey, there could be other Division One Power Five coaches that may be interested in the Nebraska job. Now, to Honky's point, they may not know the landscape like Will Bolt, but they are a proven commodity in the sense that they've taken a program at a high level and competed deep into the NCAA regional fields. So it's it's interesting to I'd love to know how much interest was actually taken in this job and how many other names were vetted, at least, uh, whether they even had conversations with Bill Moose or not, but at least vetted uh, to consider offering this job too, because... The Big Ten, it's great that Michigan has made the tournament or made the College World Series. Very excited about that. I'm going to be rooting for them uh, tomorrow. Hopefully they can make some noise. Indiana made it six years ago. We've had host teams like Illinois and, and others, host regions. Minnesota hosted, I think, last year. Big Ten is on the rise. I'm not not saying that it isn't, uh, but there's still some inherent disadvantages right now in, in coaching in the Big Ten, and one of them is what Honky just alluded to, and this is the fact that all other conferences allow their coaching staffs to oversign, just like how we talked about oversigning in football. They oversign in college baseball to anticipate the loss of players out to the major league draft, whether it's juniors that leave early or high school recruits that have signed to your program that then get recruited to the majors and go into the minor leagues instead of going to your program. And that allows them to keep a full roster of scholarships, 11.7 scholarships split amongst, uh, you know, 20 some kids or whatever. The big 10 does not allow that. They only allow over signing of one scholarship over the limit and splitting it amongst two players. And so I, I don't know what the numbers are. These would be really intriguing to find this out, but there are, I would imagine lots of Big Ten programs, baseball programs, that don't even have the full 11.7 scholarships being allotted each year because of that, uh, especially teams that may have a really good year and have some juniors get drafted early um, or uh, a good recruiting class that has some guys who get drafted high enough that they choose that route. It's a huge disadvantage as a coach. Will Bolt, I, I think one of the best things I can say about this hire is I think Bolt is a good recruiter has covered the SEC footprint and Texas in particular and knows the Texas JUCO ranks really well. And that could be a really important pipeline that we have not really been using under Erstad. And Bolt probably actually 
uh, should be able to recruit in-state at Nebraska quite well because uh, they've been doing that in College Station. A&M has been recruiting kids out of uh, Nebraska to go down to, to Texas A&M. So I think Bolt could be a really good fit from a recruiting standpoint. I agree with Honky, the culture. It is intriguing that we weren't able to go get a Power 5, quote-unquote, coach to take this job. Because I do feel like Moose wanted to make a splash hire, someone that would have opened the eyes of the college baseball world a little bit, saying, wow, Nebraska's serious about winning here. And I'm not saying that Will Bolt isn't a, a, a good hire. He may actually get that done, but it's going to be a little bit more of a work in progress, and uh, we'll, we'll find out. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's any – to me, I don't know if it's any more of a work in progress. I just think that it's just not a splash hire. I'll be the first one to admit this isn't a splash hire nationally, but – there were very few coaches that Nebraska was going to be able to get that would have been that. Now, Casey would have been that. Childress would have been that. You know, you start going too much further than that. It's like, well, you know, you're, you're paying seven figures no matter what for one of those guys. And at the end of the day, I think we got from the beginning. He was, if I'd say second tier, that's that's probably not even fair. It was literally there's one or two guys that are head coaches out there that were top guys. And if, if you can't get them, Bolt was next on my list. Yeah, you know, Boomer. Uh, you know, I, I've been following the. I think it's Tex Eggs right. forum or whatever. You know, I mean, it's it's really intriguing. I mean, the, these A and M baseball fans who are far more into it than Nebraska baseball fans, um, because I've also been following the Nebraska baseball forums. And I mean, a they wanted us to take Childress. They want him yeah, out of there. Yeah. Um, and even more so, Bolt, because A and M's offense has struggled the last couple of years. So. What I would love to hear one of our our local media uh, guys ask Will Bolt on Thursday is, you know, how do you respond to some of the criticism you've received uh, from, you know, in College Station about your offensive performance over the last couple of years? Because uh, Will Bolt, I believe, started there in probably 2015, I want to say. Sounds right. yeah. sound about right. And in, in 2015, 2016, 20, yeah, 2015, 2016, his first couple of years, they had excellent offenses. And and now those guys would have been recruited by someone else before Will Bolt or or whatnot, most likely, right? And they had, I think, a team batting average in 2016 of 311, I think. They had 60-some home runs. I mean, they had a good offense, really good offense. And they really probably should have went deep in the tournament that year. They, I think they got upset, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and then ever since then, 2017, 2018, 2019, uh, those numbers have gone a little bit down, right? Especially like batting averages, like yes. it was like 251 this year. Yeah, they like, were last in the SEC this year. Yeah, right. And so A and M fans are just like, get rid of Will Bolt. He do, he can't do this, right? Now our experience, I think Will Bolt when he got hired in 2012 under Erstad, we had a huge spike in our offensive production. So he had a great first year here at Nebraska. Again, those weren't his recruits. So I mean, I. I, I want to believe that Will Bolt is a great recruiter and he's a great offensive, a batting coach, but he is going to have to prove that a little bit. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what he does. Yeah, that was that was a question I was actually going to ask, Dave, but you kind of transitioned into it right there. I mean, unlike Frost and really unlike Hoiberg in many ways, U- UCF wanted to keep Frost. They really wanted him there. Hoiberg was probably going to be in demand at a lot of places. Was Bolt really a guy who A&M wanted to keep or would have found a job anywhere else? Honest question. I don't know. I think Rob Childress wanted to keep him. I think Rob Childress trusts uh, Will Bolt and thinks very highly of him. I think Dave Van Horn thinks very highly of him. I feel Will Bolt, if he had moved on somewhere else, he would have gotten another assistant coaching job. But I don't think he was hot on the radar of 
you know, I think you know Van Horn had some really great quotes today uh, in an article from Sam McEwen saying SEC assistant coaches, that's where you got to go, and and named a, a couple a couple of great coaches that have had success. Tony Vitello mm-hmm. uh, was Van Horn's uh, hitting coach. He left to Tennessee. Tennessee went to a regional this year yeah. for the first time in a while, right? Uh, all those type of things, right? And so I agree that SEC assistants are are a good source of head coaching material. There's no doubt about that. But was Will Bolt uh, on the cusp of getting hired by an SEC school or anything like that? No. It, it, he was available Those for Those A&M fans are idiots. The ones that are sitting there talking about, like, get rid of Childress or get rid of Bolt. My God, they've made 10 regionals or had 10 regional championships in the history of the program. Six have come under Childress. They've gone to six CWSs in the history of the A&M program. Two of them were with Childress. They've made 35 NCAA tournaments, 13 have been under Childress, including the last, well, since 2007 all the way through 19. They've won six all-time conference tournaments, and four of them have come under Childress. The ones that are upset about that, or the ones that are saying, like, get rid of Childress. Oh, my God. I responded to every one of them saying we would take him, yes. And we'll take Bolt, by the way. Very happily, we'll take Bolt. But, Dave, you've mentioned with Bolt. Is there a complaint down there that, oh, did Childress give like extra scholarships towards pitching and that affected the hitting, basically? Is that kind so of that's their... a part of the story, and I, I, I would like to see Will, how Will Bolt does this. And this is, I consider myself a big Nebraska baseball fan, but I don't dive into it this deep, and it's really interesting to peer into some of these SEC schools' fans and hear about scholarship allocation. So Childress, as a pitching specialist, right, he was our pitching coach at Nebraska, a very good one. And that is what his his forte is still at A&M. And so what you hear from the A&M fans is that Childress puts a priority on scholarship allocation. Again, you're splitting up 11.7 scholarships across an entire roster to his star pitchers. And he may be giving 80% scholarships to his, his front line, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday starters, right? And by giving that big of allocation to his best pitchers, the ones that are probably going to get drafted high in the in the major leagues, that type of stuff, he doesn't have as many scholarships to hand out to his offensive side of the ball. And so Will Bolt might be handcuffed a little bit there. And that's the way Childress wants to run his program. I guess this is where we could find out how Will Bolt wants to run his program from that scholarship allocation standpoint. Yeah, and it, you see those numbers reflected in the stats at the SEC. I mean, uh, A&M, I think, had the best ERA on their pitching staff in the SEC. At, uh, I think it was uh, 3.21, you know, uh, up to June, I think, or early June anyway. There, But their batting average and their on-base percentage, they were, you know, last or second to last. Slugging percentage, they were last. And on-base percentage, they were last in the SEC. So it is kind of a tale of two cities there, and it does seem to reflect Childress's philosophy in a way. And what that says about Bolt, I don't know. So, like Dave said, it may just be the talent he's given to work with, and it's hard to work with that. So, yeah. Speaking of the A and M talent, it's also intriguing that if you look at their major league draft picks over the last, you know, five years or whatnot, I think they had four four guys drafted this year, maybe five last year, which are, are good numbers, especially because Nebraska only had one one player drafted, Matt Waldron, right? Um, but if you go back to 20, I think 15 or 2016, they had like 13 guys get drafted that year. So again, um, a little bit earlier in the Childress regime, they were having a, a stronger talent pool coming through there. Um, not to say that again, they're not going to rebound. I, I just don't know that program well enough to know what is working next year for A&M's draft potential. But if you just look at the raw numbers, uh, they're not getting as quite as many players drafted the last few years than they did 
in the mid, uh, you know, twenty teens. So it is intriguing. I, I think with with Bolt offensively, Honky, you mentioned this. I can't remember if you actually said this on the last Redcast or not, but you talked about how like when you started to actually follow Nebraska baseball under Dave Van Horn, uh, you really appreciated the fact that he could manufacture runs. That he would, you know, someone would bunt. Will Bolt would bunt to get on base and then still second and then we'd sack fly to third and you know we'd create a run right and some of your a little bit of your frustration with Urshad's offense was he wasn't creating those runs uh, so much and that was intriguing to me I thought about that a lot and in Urshad's earlier uh, part of his tenure I would say he was doing that a little bit more and that's when Will Bolt was a part of that staff and and Will Bolt is definitely a Van Horn disciple. And so we may go back to seeing more of that uh, coaching philosophy of a little bit of small ball and trying to create and, and make things happen. Uh, so that'll be really interesting to see how, how that play out. Now that's opposite of how the rest of the baseball world is, is moving, right? And Erstad was talking about this. He had stopped doing a lot of that stuff because the – the metrics, the statistics told him that actually you should swing away more often and it's okay to strike out a little bit more if you have more power numbers. Now, we didn't really produce the power numbers and maybe some of that mm-hmm. was the talent level, but it is opposite of some of these other schools. Oklahoma State's a great example, right? With all these big power hitters, they sure struck out a lot, but they also beat us when it counts. So, so. has Van Horn changed his pattern of how he does things because obviously Arkansas is in the CWS right now and, and is a regular you know participant that's a good question and I'd have to ask Boomer if he could pull up any sort of numbers on that whatsoever uh he he's definitely gone through different batting coaches I just mentioned Tony Vitello uh who left a couple of years ago and went to Tennessee and so now they have uh was it Nate Thompson is that right Boomer yeah. it was someone who had had been uh had thrown out as a potential candidate as mm-hmm. well and is kind of hot in those those coaching circles. And so uh, some of it might be he allows his assistants to, to dictate that a little bit. Yeah, Arkansas has generated a lot of – they're definitely more of a power team, really, just looking at the stats without digging too deep into it. I mean, they're one of the leading teams in the SEC in doubles, triples, and home runs this year. So, you know, they do turn out a lot of extra base hits. So you can attribute a lot of that to power. They do, you know, draw a lot of walks, too, so that's good. So, But, yeah, they seem to kind of have that power approach, too, and they strike out a lot. They led the SEC in strikeouts, too, so they're clearly – There you go. Yeah, taking that power approach, trying to get just generate hits. Mm-hmm. So. Well, speaking of coaching philosophy, what do we know about the coaching staff that Bolt's going to be bringing with him? Yeah, Boomer, you might be able to fill us in a little bit, but I did hear that uh, Jeff Christie is going to come along with Will Bolt. Jeff Christie was a volunteer coach at A&M this year, is that correct? Correct, yes. Mm -hmm. And he's going to be the pitching coach? Correct, yep. So again, Nebraska ties there and a catcher and see how that works out. I don't know. And uh, the hitting coach that I've heard is uh, Lance Miles. Uh, he was at Sam Houston State. And he'd played there and just transitioned into a coaching role there. So I don't know a lot about him. but Yeah, but Sam Houston State's coach is Matt Diggs, who was a Childress coach. What's interesting also is what were the expectations? We talked about this a little bit on the last show, but what were the expectations for the team next year, regardless, like if, if Ursad hadn't left, what were the expectations? And we talked about how offensively we thought it could be pretty good to begin with a lot of the the, the power is back that the, the star power is back the offensive power is back but obviously we lose all three starters 
right? I mean, the, the yep, whole weekend right. rotation is mm -hmm. basically graduating. So we're starting over from that point, but it's kind of interesting to see what these guys are going to be able to do with, with all this offensive firepower coming back. And when we say offensive firepower, I mean, it's not, again, we don't have a lot of big power hitters per se, but the, the offense was producing at a better clip uh, at the end of the season. So you want to con con continue to see that development. And it'd be great to see if Bolt could, you know, have some late additions here, similar to Hoiberg, which could maybe supplement that. I mean, he does have those Juco connections and you never know. So, mm. Well, Bolt and Christie are Nebraska alums, and they're, and they're coaching here now. Uh, we had a mailbag question from coworker Eric, and he just said, in general, and I think we can talk baseball here, but this could go across the board in any of the sports. He says, in general, how important is it the Nebraska ties factor, being a former player, an assistant, resident, et cetera, for a new head coach joining the athletic department? Dave, I'll start with you. It's a good question. At a philosophical standpoint, it shouldn't make a difference. And we have a very important example, Bob Devaney. Chloe had no Nebraska ties, and mm -hmm. he came in and, and understood the culture and, and really created the culture. Um, and there's other successes. Dave Van Horn came in and didn't have any Nebraska ties and did quite well very quickly. Danny Neve, the best Nebraska basketball coach, never had any. And about as you know opposite Nebraska as you could imagine as a coach, really. Yes, mm -hmm. absolutely. Um, I think you look at those coaches though and and that the quality of the coaching and the the quality of the relationships they could build and all those type of things uh bring a lot of value too so i i think there's there is value of having an understanding of nebraska and and the culture etc but it, sometimes it's the cultural fit that might be just as important right i mean uh, not everyone from nebraska would necessarily be able to relate to the state or coach in a manner that's going to appease the entire uh, staff or just because they had a, a, a connection uh, do that. And so I, I think it's a, it's a mixed bag there. Boomer. Uh, yeah. I don't know if it's, it's, it's essential to have those Nebraska ties. I mean, in, in some avenues it's, it's nice to have, I think it probably buys coaches a, a longer leash than they might otherwise have. I, I would imagine, you know, You'd have brought any other coach in right away after Riley, and they don't get us to a bowl game right away, and we're a sub-500 team. You'd probably hear a lot more complaints than you do uh, with Frost, you know, just because, you know, we do expect more out of him, and he does have his Nebraska ties and good feelings. That, that goodwill's a big help there. I think just having – I don't know if you need a perfect understanding of Nebraska's situation in baseball, but you just have to understand what you're getting into in the Big Ten, I think, is an important challenge. You know, you wouldn't have to get that just – you know, having a Nebraska tie. I mean, if you were a coach at Creighton or an assistant at Creighton or Wichita State or Iowa, anything like that, you'd probably have an understanding of what you were getting into. I think that's just as important. You know, we've seen coaches here that, you know, have Nebraska ties that we bring back and don't, you know, make it for the long run. I mean, you can argue Erstad. It was nice to have him here. Did he get us exactly where we wanted to be as coach? I don't know if he did or didn't. You know, Bo had Nebraska ties, and I'm not convinced he was the right hire, you know, back when we hired him. And, you know, that worked out for what it was. But I think, I think Dave, you probably put it best just having a – just being able to understand the culture once you're here and get it and embrace it and just yeah, understand. Yeah, personality more Yeah, personality anything, is important. Right? And, yeah, and anybody can work here, I think. But, it, it yeah, it's just – it's got to be the right fit. And you don't have to have those ties. You don't want to yeah. get hung up. But kind of like, you know, Michigan getting hung up and finding a Michigan guy for, you know, football coaching, how – you know that's kind of bit him a few times. You know, with trying yeah. to find the right hire because you got to have a Michigan man or whatever. And 
yeah, maybe you don't. Just just find a guy that fits, you know, and run with it. Find a really good coach. I mean, I guess that actually a, a quick follow up uh, question to both you guys is that so so Bolt, just like Erstad, former player, uh, very different uh, in one's uh, a you know major league all star and had a lot of credentials based off of that and number one draft pick. Will Bolt. Uh, College World Series success at Nebraska and lots more coaching uh, uh, experience than Erstad. Erstad, eight years, four super regional or four regionals, no super regionals or, or College World Series, obviously. And uh, what one regular season conference championship and three tournament conference tournament championship appearances. What what does Will Bolt need to do? How long of a leash does he have? How much time does he have to prove himself here? And what do you think he needs to do in that time frame to to be a success? I I don't know if you can be because you know if the argument is you're bringing this guy in, he's got assistant coaching experience and he's ready for that head coaching jump. I don't know if you can be as patient. I mean, isn't that part of the argument for why he's a good hire? Yeah, I mean, Erstad, yeah, you had to give him that leash to learn how to be a head coach because this was his first real coaching gig at any level. And if if our argument for Bolt is he's got you know community college experience and assistant experience and kind of understands this, then he should be able to hit the ground running a little faster than Erstad did. So, I think you probably do kind of have to accelerate a little. I mean, Erstad made uh, the regionals. What was it? His third season here. Third I season. Think. So That's I right. think you probably kind of have to be looking at something like that. I mean, if you're not in the regionals after year two or three, then you got to start asking questions, I think. And let's not forget also that Erstad has left us in a better place than he took over. This isn't a time to look back on Erstad's tenure and say he failed or didn't fail or whatever. He's leaving the spot better than what he took over. And that is different from, you know, if you looked at a coach like, you know, Riley as an example, taking over a nine-win program and leaving Frost when he left him. Okay, that's a failure, right? But if you can take something and if you can improve it, and then you leave, even if you didn't win titles, and that's kind of what Erstad did. Erstad didn't win, you know, uh, regional titles and get to super regionals, but he's left this program in a much better spot that I think the expectation should be higher for Bolt. Bolt is taking over a better program now that's more established in this in this conference, and I think Bolt can now, he can take that and run with it. I, I think he's in a great position to, to go with it. Yeah, I think expectations is the regionals in year one. I mean, if he doesn't make a regional next year, I'd be disappointed. I'll be honest with you. I feel like that team is good enough to make a regional next Absolutely. year. Absolutely. And and it sounds like Erstad was fully supportive of Bolt taking over. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was uh, who his choice would have been. So uh, it just, I mean, I, I think making a regional in year one is one thing, but actually taking the program to the next level of – uh, making a super regional in year three or whatever it is, uh, is is how he's going to be measured. Sure. Right? Um, I think if he just does four four regionals in eight years, like Darren Erstad, I don't think the fan base is going to be accepting of that. I don't feel like the fan base will also be accepting of uh, not winning more Big Ten regular season games or Big Ten tournament uh, championships. Totally agree. And maybe as a, as a closing on on the baseball talk here. Four of the eight College World Series teams that are in there right now, four of them have coaches that were first-time Division One Power Five yep, coaches right. when they came to the school they're at right now. So, fifty. Well, can you name those? No, I cannot. Uh, Vanderbilt. Dan McConnell for yeah, Louisville. Vanderbilt, Louisville. The guy at Texas Tech. And Backage. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Your yeah. Four right no, Backage was yeah. with Maryland, wasn't he? 
Oh, you're right. He was with Maryland mm-hmm. beforehand. Okay, so who's the other now, one? Now, there's one more. Who are we missing? Tech, Louisville, Vanderbilt. Oh, Auburn. Who's their coach? He's new. What's yeah, he was an assistant, I yeah. think, before he took over that I Auburn can't remember team. what his name is. Yeah, That's the Auburn right. baseball coach. Yeah, he's, right. he's new this year, That's first right. year. Granted, they have the natural talent pool to draw right. from, which is Backage was yeah. a Vanderbilt assistant, though. So yeah. See that SEC. It is funny. When we talk about Nebraska ties, though, the, it doesn't take much for someone to have Nebraska ties. Like, if you – if you got a, a bag of popcorn at Popcorn Days in North Loop twelve years ago, you have <laughs> Nebraska ties. That's that's all it takes. Hey, whatever it takes. Yeah. Yeah. If they really enjoy that popcorn, they're like they understand the culture. You know, I, I'm kind of curious what uh, Will Bolt's scheduling philosophy is going to be. Is it going to be similar to Erstad, where you just pack the the non-con as tough as you can? I think it has to and, be. Yeah, is that just going to be what we should expect going forward in the Big Ten? I mean. I think that we talked about this in the last Redcast or, or a few ago. Erstad has the right formula of a scheduling very difficult non-conference games that build up that strength of schedule and RPI. And then what you'd hope Will Bolt could build off of that is actually have a little bit better success in the Big Ten, which is now a better conference than what Erstad got in 2012. If you could do that, if you could build up a strong non-conference uh, strength of schedule and RPI and have success in the Big Ten, you should be sitting at the top of that conference and looking at potentially hosting on a regular basis, yep. I feel like. That should be your expectation. I, I think that's what we could do. I don't know if you can be anything, uh, uh, you know, expect that or uh, higher than that on a regular basis, but being in the conversation to host on a regular basis should be something we should try to achieve. There you go. Book it, Redcasters. <laughs> Boom. All right, fellas, I think we're ready for our parting shots. Honky, take it away. All right, well, if the Blues and Raptors can do it, don't tell me in, you can't. Um, we're on Spotify. I'm not really sure what that means. And also, we are now at 5,300 followers, so look out, Holdridge. We are coming. Uh, we are almost the 30th largest town in uh, in Nebraska now, Redcast Nation <laughs> is. so Awesome. Great to hear. Boomer, what do you got for me? Well, I'd just like to, again, remind our listeners that uh, now that uh, June's kicking off, we'll be transitioning to uh, about a month or so of Canadian football coverage, covering 21 weeks of CFL excitement, so it's good to go there. Uh, all right, guys, I think we've, we've had enough of a show tonight. Uh, it's been a fun Friday night uh, talking about the Will Bolt hire and all things Nebraska sports. Until uh, next week, let's call that a Go Big Redcast. Go Big Redcast.